I, I just love, I love being here together with you all, and, and I'm just so glad that we could be together this Christmas and just worship the Lord. And, you know, Forrest always, for whatever reason, whenever I ask him to get up here and speak, he always gives like the perfect scriptural reference that just prefaces my sermon. And he doesn't know what I'm going to preach, but, but he always does that. So, so I, and the message that I want to get into is a little bit interesting this morning. Somebody, I mentioned it to somebody this morning and said, but that's a little bit somber for a Christmas message, don't you think? But we're, we'll get into that. But I want, I want to share a couple of things with you because we've had a good Christmas so far as a church just in, in being generous and trying to bless people around us. Uh, the, the, the best that we possibly can as a church. And I always do a poor job of kind of letting the church know about some of the things that we do to help people throughout the year. And a lot of times I kind of go, go on the side of just not letting my left hand know what my right hand's doing, so to speak. But, but I think it's important that you guys know that your constant support and generosity and contribution goes a long way into letting people know that God loves them. And that's an important thing to do as a church. And, and I was shocked because I, I tallied up a lot of things that we've just basically spent this month in helping people and blessing people. And the number that I got this morning was we, we've given away $9,200 worth of, worth of gifts. We've given, we've given lots of gifts to children. About 50 kids, I, I was hauling sacks, I felt like Santa Claus, I was hauling sacks of, of, of gifts around the, the other day, and if I'd have just had the beard on, man, it would have been, and put on a few pounds, it'd been perfect, but, but uh, we went and visited the ladies at the Freedom House, and we took them each one, there's 15 women down there, and it's just a place for, for recovery while women are giving birth to their children, man, it's a beautiful thing. We went down there, we, we sang some Christmas carols to them, I was slightly off key, but it went okay still yet, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. We gave them gifts. There were three kids there that we were able to give gifts, and it was a wonderful time. Uh, we were buying some meals for some folks this Christmas, and then we were able to support some ministry in Uganda as well, but $9,200 of just blessing people. And, and man, God is at work, and I'm just, I just want to say, I'm so grateful for this church, because I can send a message out and say, hey guys, we've got 44 kids that we need to bless. And I kid you not, within probably less than 24 hours, we had all 44 of them covered. And that just, that just goes to show how caring, how loving, how generous you all are. And I'm so appreciative of that. So, amen, amen. Can you give yourself just a good hand clap right quick just for being such good folks? That's, what's, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about being generous and loving people and just reminding them of the love of God and, and what He gave us. But... You know, I want to preach a message this morning about one of my favorite Christmas characters. And his name is, is Herod. Amen. Y'all didn't get the joke, did you? That's not like... If that's your favorite Christmas character, you got issues, man. Herod was like the original Grinch. And we're going we're to get into this some. But here's the thing. The, the title of my message is, You Can't Kill Christmas. You Cannot Kill Christmas. And I read an article just last night, actually. And, and it said that this is the deadliest year in recent memory. That this year, over 300,000 people, like they tally up on average how many people die in a year uh, in the United States. And this year, in particular, I just read this article. I don't know whether it's true or not. You know, I know it's tough to know whether or not things are true in the world that we live in. But they said that 300,000 people more than regular have, have passed away this year above average. 
And it was the deadliest year in human history. And see, I was reading the Christmas story and there's certain things that, that strike me in the Christmas story when I'm reading it because you think it's all jolly and candy canes and comfort and maybe some custard or something like that and some ornaments and lights. And it's just a jolly time of year. And thank God that it really is. But the original Christmas was a little bit messy. It was a little bit messed up. There was some bad things going on. There was a destructive government at work. There were leaders that were bringing about oppression there, were all, there was death involved. There were all kinds of things involved. And I know that in 2020, this year, we're experiencing things that it's like, man, Christmas has kind of got a little bit of some heaviness on it. A lot of the people that I'm talking to, they're going through some of the most difficult times that they've ever went through in their life this Christmas. But the good news is, is just like I feel like I've been preaching this theme throughout the year, is that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, we do have Christ Jesus. Just like Forrest said, in the midst of Satan's works, we have a king that ultimately crushed is the serpent's head. And that's what Christmas is all about. So I want to start with you in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And we'll read there and get into it. But you can't kill Christmas. It says in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. They knew their Bibles. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. How many of you know he didn't want to worship him at all? When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you for this story because this is the one story in our world that has the ability to transform the human heart. God, there's so many stories. We've got Christmas stories and Christmas movies and all sorts of things that we watch and are entertained by, God. But this story is the bedrock of our life. And we thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent your only son in flesh, God in flesh, appearing for us, born, as the song says, so that men would no longer have to die. And Lord, we are grateful and we are thankful. And we pray that this morning, your church, your people would be encouraged, that people that don't know you, Jesus, their hearts would be softened and humbled and turned to you, God, and that your spirit would be at work in all of us, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, I love this story. You talk about giving gifts, and this story, it really starts with three wise men. And I'm telling you right now, we live in a world, honestly, that is full of fools. There is crazy stuff running rampant, and fools have rejected God in Christ Jesus. They've said, we don't want to believe that. We want to trust other things in the world today, and we want to reject that. But can I tell you that wise men still worship Jesus? Wise men still worship Jesus, but wise men don't just worship Jesus. They understand that worship costs you something. Worship is not just a song that you sing whenever you come in here on Sunday morning, but it is a lifestyle that absolutely revolutionizes your heart and your way of life. And these wise men understood that this king was worthy to travel miles on horseback if need be, to spend days and nights in the desert traveling from the east to go and bow down to a little baby that they knew was the king of the world. They knew he was the creator of the universe because they had studied scripture and they said, we're traveling to worship this king. And they went and they found him. And when they did, they poured out gifts to him. Because when we choose to worship God, we got to realize that it is going to cost us something. And we are to give him our entire lives. But you got to understand that when you choose to worship Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you give him that you will not receive greater in return. And the truth is, they gave to him because they realized that he had already given them everything. He had already given them everything. There is nothing that God has withheld from us and therefore it is our honor, it is our privilege to say, God, I give it all back to you. For from you are all things and to you are all things. Lord, you deserve the glory. They understood this about this baby that was born in this manger. But see, Christmas, just like I said, it's, we, we paint this portrait of it being lights and happy times and I thank God that it is that to some degree here in our American culture and we get to experience such a joyful time with our family unwrapping presents. It's a beautiful blessing. But let me tell you something, the original Christmas, a lot like our Christmas because a lot of times people, we, I tell you, we, we go so many different houses, so many different places. You gotta, it's like you've got, got to buy gifts. You know what I'm talking about? I don't need anything. I buy everything I want. When I want something, I just buy it. No, nobody needs to buy me anything but everybody's like asking me, Forrest was talking about this the other day. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And it's like this time of we live in such excess and indulgence that we got to figure out what we want. It ain't even about what we need anymore. I mean, what do you want? I mean, we got all of our needs met, but what do you want? But it gets messy. It gets expensive. It's chaotic. I felt like I was running wild last week trying to deliver all the gifts. You know what I'm saying? It gets hectic at Christmas time. But it was very hectic at the original Christmas. We see gifts given just like the Magi did, but, but let me tell you something. The first Christmas was very complicated. And it's funny to me when I think about the Christmas story that God planned this before the foundations of the world. He knew that He was going to send His Son to be born of a virgin in this place in Bethlehem and that ultimately He was going to go to the cross and die for my sins, for your sins. He knew this, but yet it seems like He could have... If He knew it and He was foreordaining it and He was putting things in order, seems like He could have done a little bit better job by my standard. You know what I'm talking about? Because Mary was pregnant. I want you to imagine being ultra pregnant and then all of a sudden the emperor say, you got to go back home to be taxed. So they got to get up on a donkey ride the equivalent of what it would be right I want you to imagine you pregnant women okay can you imagine right now saddling a donkey and riding to Lexington to go be taxed somebody amen me this morning right that was the shape she was in I'm thinking God if I'm highly favored why I gotta ride 90 miles and me ultra pregnant right here on a donkey I mean, that, that's hard labor. That's hard work. And then not only that, but once they actually get to the place where they're going, when they get to Bethlehem to be taxed, now when they get there, they're giving up their money. 
So it's like nothing seems to be going right. And then when they get there, she goes into labor and guess what? There ain't no room for them in the end. So they got to find another place to have this child. And I'm thinking, God, if you foreordained this, why in the world would you have not made better preparations? Why didn't you book a hotel? You ever felt like that in your own life? I've been feeling like that this year. I've been feeling like, God, if you really had things in order, why aren't things going a little bit better in my life? Can I tell you that even when things are going bad and unusual, you start to think, man, God is not in this at all. I promise you, God is still at work in your mess. If Christmas teaches us anything, it teaches us that God is at work in our mess when it's complicated, when it's hairy, when things don't look good. God is still at work in our mess because He was at work right there divinely orchestrating every event. Divinely orchestrating every event. He saw it happening. And just like Forrest said, in the midst of Satan's work, he was divinely orchestrating every event. See, it's estimated that there are about 108 unique prophecies in the Bible concerning Jesus' first coming, His birth. 108 alone. And they're very unique and they're almost paradoxical because you're talking about a virgin That's going to give birth to a king who will have an eternal reign, but he's also going to be beaten and die. That's that's paradox, y'all. I mean, like if somebody read that, they'd think, how in the world does a virgin give birth to a king that is going to rule eternally, but he's also so going to be beaten and die? Like, what's how's this going to play out? And you see all of these prophecies, 108 specific. And there was a guy named Peter Stoner in 1958. He was a mathematics professor. Here's the statement that he made. He calculated that just the chances of eight out of the 108 prophecies about Jesus' birth coming to pass would have been one in 100 quadrillion. You got a better chance of winning the lottery, the Powerball, hitting all the numbers of a handful of times than all of these things coming to pass. This is how specific God is in detail about His plans, about when Jesus is coming, about His second coming. And He lays it out and He said, just if eight, even on His birth certificate, Jesus doesn't even have one birth. There are specific prophecies hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that lists several different cities. It, as a matter of fact, it says that He's going to end up being called out into Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son, it prophesied. And we read in these scriptures that I just read that He was called into Egypt. And they went to Egypt for a couple of years to get away from Herod. But it says he shall be born in Bethlehem. That out of you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler. It was prophesied. But see, guess what? It's, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to be raised in Nazareth because the Scripture said he shall be called a Nazarene. And then lastly, it says that at his birth there would be great weeping in Ramah because all of the death that was taking place. And they prophesied specifically these four specific cities in detail concerning Jesus' birth and what would happen around it. See, but it's very complicated. And God is bringing all of these specific things to pass in the face of the fact that somebody is trying to thwart Christmas. Amen. The original Grinch is trying to steal Christmas. But just like I said, you can't steal Christmas and you can't kill Christmas. When God sets in his plan to get something done, it may look like it's not going to happen. It may not look good. It may not look like everything that your best interest is in his mind. But he is going to bring things to pass. But see, Herod, he had a plan. And see, God shows that through Herod that over and over again, no matter how hard the devil tries to destroy God's plan, the devil only becomes a pawn in fulfilling God's plan. 
No matter how hard the devil attacks you, no matter how hard the devil attacks your family or brings heartache or death or loss or pain in your life, I can promise you this, that in the end, ultimately, God is going to use him as a pawn to bring about his plans and purposes to pass. And we can't see that all in the here and now, but see, we look into the great by and by. Farther along, we'll all understand it. Farther along, we will all know why. But number one, here's the first point that I want you to understand. Because even now, our world seems broken and chaotic, but you've got to rest assured that God is still at work and He still plans to fulfill His purposes in our lives. 2020 was a rough year, but God is not done yet, y'all. Number one, let me tell you this point. When our world seems only evil, broken, and chaotic, when it seems only evil, broken, and chaotic, God will still fulfill His plans and purposes. He's still going to fulfill them even when things are messed up and you don't know how things are going to get any better. And see, a portion of Scripture that isn't often read, let me get into Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. Let's get a little bit deeper into this. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother... Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. So Jesus has been born, but they wake up because they find out that Herod is out to kill Jesus. And an angel warns Joseph and says, you got to flee to Egypt. And this is going to be a fulfillment of prophecy. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him, he says. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And there was there until the, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. I want you to imagine that. Everybody in the district of Bethlehem, he sent forth word, every child that was two years old and under, he had them put to death. And it says, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. This lunatic was out to kill the Christmas promise. And I'm telling you, in so many ways right now, Satan is still out at work to kill the Christmas promise in your own life to kill Jesus being born in your own heart, to kill the plans that God has for our world. He wants to end what he thinks he can end, and he's always been out to do it. But see, the, he, he thought that the death of Jesus would be the end of Christmas because here was the problem with Herod. He was called the king of the Jews. And if you remember, that's what ended up being written over Jesus' cross in three different languages, the king of the Jews. It was essentially a, a, a mockery, so to speak, of the fact that Herod called himself the king of the Jews. But not only that, I want you to understand this, that Jesus was born in a time when Caesar Augustus was the emperor. And you know what they called him? They called him the son of God and they demanded his worship and every time they conquered a city or a nation or a place they would go in and they would preach the euangelion they would preach the gospel but see God shows up and he is subversive he says that's not the truth that's false worship that is not what Christmas is all about so to speak this is the true son of God this is the true one worthy of worship and only the wise men of the earth had eyes to see it only the wise men of the earth had eyes to see that this was the one true Son of God that was manifested. But see, you got to understand that Josephus was a crazy man, y'all. Not Josephus, but Herod was a crazy man because Josephus tells us that he butchered his two oldest sons in cold blood. 
He thought they were going to try to steal the throne from him, so he killed his two oldest sons in cold blood. He married a Jewish woman. He built a huge temple in, in Jerusalem. He, he created a type of air conditioning in the ancient world. But see, eventually, he had his Jewish wife and her brother put to death as well because he thought they would take the throne. And so he killed him. He, he killed his two sons, his wife, his brother-in-law, and, his, and their mother. All of those things. That's how crazy this man was. And then so it was nothing for him to understand that there's somebody that's going to try to claim his throne. There's been all these prophecies. There's reading scripture. The wise men are saying there's prophecies about the son of God that is to be born. He says, where is he going to be born? Because he is not going to take my throne. He was going to cling to his throne. And can I tell you that right now in our world, there are so many people, including you and I, that are trying to cling to our throne, that are not willing to relinquish control of our lives and give control to the one true king of kings that is to be born king not even only of the Jews but king of the world creator of all and ultimately he desires to be king of your life but many of us we walk around like little Herods trying to control everything in our lives unwilling to relinquish control and let God be the king and be the ruler and the controller of our lives this was the place that Herod was in see it was nothing for him to kill a bunch of little two-year-old babies and and all the ones that were younger because this was his heart he wanted control. He wanted all these things. But here's the thing that you got to understand about the Christmas promise is this has been going on since the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, whenever man fell, the serpent came in and Satan convinced us the works of the devil began at the beginning of humanity. And he convinced us that, listen, you can be as God's knowing good and evil. You don't have to let God be the king of your life. You can sit on the throne of your life. You can make decisions for yourself what's good and what's evil. And we bit into that lie and immediately sin and death entered in. Division and hatred and sickness and disease and all of the things that we see in our world today, it entered in. But see, at that moment in Genesis 3.15, God gave the serpent a promise. It was the first promise of God given. And what He said in Genesis 3.15 is He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. How many of you know that women don't have seed? He's prophesying the virgin birth right out of the gate. He's saying that this, this boy that is going to be born is both fully God and fully man. The seed will be planted in the woman. It will be her seed, not the seed of a man. And he's telling him this, and that's why he says it comes from the woman. And he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He is prophesying to Satan from the beginning that you're going to try to bring an end to Christmas. You're going to try to kill this promise. You're going to try to kill this child. And when push comes to shove, you will strike his heel. And I got this image this morning reading this scripture of literally... I don't you imagine you're barefoot walking out into your yard and all of a sudden a, a snake bites the heel of your foot, but you stomp it with such an aggressive stomp that it shatters the head of that serpent and it dies. Yeah, it hurts that you got bit, but he brought an end to that serpent. And that's what God prophesied from the beginning. He said, yeah, you may bring a little bit of pain into their life. Because let me tell you something, folks. We live in a world where Satan sometimes gets the upper hand on us on occasion. He's able to strike us. He's able to infect us with venom, with division, with fear, with anxiety, with hatred even sometimes, with bitterness, with anger. He infects us with that. But in Jesus Christ, we are brought back into a position where we can say, now we live for the one who has already crushed your head. At the cross of Calvary, he has brought an end to your power. But see, that doesn't stop Satan. It doesn't stop him to know the truth, to hear the truth. Because what you see is immediately he tries to figure out, how am I going to kill this promised son? He looks at their children, Cain and Abel. He said, maybe one of these is the promised son. 
He notices that Abel is blessed. Why? Because Abel offers a blood sacrifice of lambs to God. It's a picture of the fact that when you and I come into church, for example, I don't come in here and worship God and say, God, you're worthy, but so am I. Look at all the good works that I've done. Thank God we gave gifts to children this Christmas. Lord, bless me and bless me indeed. We don't do that. But see, that's what Cain did. He offered the works of his own hands to God and God rejected him because it's never about how good you are. You could never be good enough to earn your salvation and Abel understood that so he didn't bring the works of his hands. He brought the firstborn of his flock and offered up a blood sacrifice which pictured the fact that you and I, when we come in, we say, God, we are not worthy. We don't deserve your blessing. We don't deserve your salvation but it's not about how good I am. It's about the fact that you love me enough to come and die for me and it's only by your blood that I received this salvation and this forgiveness. And so Satan looks at that and he says, you know what, boys, i got to stir Cain up to kill that boy because he may be the promised child. And so Cain is moved upon by Satan and he kills his brother Abel. You move on into the future. Israel grows as a nation. They're now at three to four million people and they're in, they're in Egypt. And they hear a prophecy. The Pharaoh hears a prophecy that there's going to be a deliverer that rises up. And so you know what he does? He does just what Herod does. He says, if a deliverer is going to, be, is going to rise up, let's send an edict out through all of the land and let's have all these babies killed. And you remember the story. Moses' mother put, her, put him out in, in, in the river. And that's why he called, it was called Moses because it meant drawn out. And he was saved and he was protected because even in the midst of death, guess what? God still got a plan. And Moses was raised up and he was a deliverer and he kept Israel going. And then he finds out there's a prophecy that through David the Christ is going to come. So what does Satan do? He says, i got to kill David. And he raises Goliath up to bring an end to Israel. He raises Goliath up to put a death to David. But David brings death to the giant. The same way that ultimately Jesus brings death to the giant of sin and death and all of those things. See, David made it through. He made it through. And then you see now in the New Testament that Satan still is not giving up. He still wants to bring an end to the promise. And so Herod is moved upon by Satan and he tries to kill all of these children. It's been going on for years and years and years. And see, this is what it says. John saw a vision of this before Jesus was born. In Revelation 12, I want you to notice this. Revelation 12, verse 1 through 5, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a, gar a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars out of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. And verse 13 says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, I read something very interesting because a lot of scholars say this. They say that, that John knew what happened. And they said in about 3 or 4 B.C., which is probably roughly around the time that Jesus was born, that there was an astronomical anomaly that took place in the heavens. And what they said is that if you had looked up into the sky during that time, there was, this, there was the king planet Jupiter, which is called the king planet, and then there was the king star Regulus. And these two, Jupiter and Regulus, met together, which represented the king of kings. 
And that star met together right in the center of a constellation called Virgo, which represents the virgin right in her womb. And they met together at that point, and the new moon came up at a very specific time and was at the point of her womb where she was giving birth to this new child. But see, right as the moon comes out, in a moment of time, the constellation Drago comes around to devour the child right there in the heavens at that moment. And some scholars say that this could have been some of the stuff that the, that the Magi saw, but, but they say, you know what, this, this is probably what John is talking about that he saw in the heavens. But it was actually predicting the fact that what had happened throughout all human history and was going to happen again, that this woman gave birth to the male child that was going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, that he was going to bring glory to God throughout all of the earth. But Satan was there to devour him and he was using Herod. Amen. So it's all, been, it's all been scripted. It's all being played out. And you read that and you say, golly, that's heavy. Merry Christmas, everybody. Murdering children and doing all that. Verse 19 through 23, it says, Now when Herod was dead, praise the Lord. I, I don't know. Maybe they celebrated at that point. I, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise. Take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. See, he ended up in Nazareth. Why? Because the prophets said he would end up in Nazareth. And all of these things are being fulfilled right before their very eyes. And Herod and the devil thought that through death they could stop Christmas, but God knew that through Christmas he could stop death. Let me give you point number two. The devil used death to try to end Christmas, but God used Christmas to end death. Amen. We're singing that song this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You, you get into those old songs, son, they've got some good lyrics. Like, well, we may need to sing old songs more often from time to time. But there was, Justin was singing that this morning, and I was reading those lyrics, and it said uh, something along these lines, born so that men may no longer die. This child was born so that men may no longer die. The devil used death to try to end Christmas. Let me tell you something. This is why death hurts so bad. Right now, many of us, we're looking at death. Like I said, the, the article said this is one of the deadliest years in recent memory. And death, it's like Satan tries to use death to bring such fear on people and to say that life's coming to an end and there's this darkness over you, that this is the end and nothing's going to go any further. And see, this is the very reason that Jesus came. He came so that death no longer has any stink. That it's not the end. That it's not the end all be all. That it doesn't have the voice that it has. The reason Jesus was born is so that he could bring an end to death. You can't kill Christmas. You can't steal Christmas. And let me tell you something. Christmas is not about a fat man riding on a, a big carriage in the sky bringing children gifts based on whether they're good or bad. Christmas is about a God who loved the world so much that He gave us the very best gift because we were all bad. We were all bad. And listen, I'm not against people say, saying Santa and all this stuff. I'm not like a big hardcore religious zealot or anything like that. I mean, if you do Santa, that's fine. But let me tell you something. There is a way better story than Santa. 
We're talking about the God that loved you so much that whether you were naughty or nice, He said, no, you ain't nice. You are naughty and you need salvation and you need Jesus to come. But I love you so much that I'm going to give you the gift of all gifts. I'm going to give you my very son born in flesh. He's going to become just like you so that you can enter into relationship with me. He will restore that bridge that has been broken. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Christmas is about. See, Jesus became... He became the true Lamb of God, the final sacrifice. When He was born, and we sang this this morning, there was angels that declared to shepherds watching their flock. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, the, the, the shepherds are watching their flock in the field and the angels come to them telling them to rejoice. And He says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And notice what He says. The angels tell the shepherds, This will be a sign to you. This is a sign. So you need to pay attention. He said, You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And the question was to me, Well, what kind of sign is it? What kind of sign could it be? A, a, a baby in a manger in swaddling clothes. Because here's the thing. In Bethlehem at that time, there would have been literally hundreds upon hundreds of mangers. It was a place where shepherds kept their flocks. I mean, there was manger after manger after manger. So if you tell a bunch of shepherds, Hey, there's going to be a baby and he's going to be in, in a manger somewhere, you're going to be like, Which one? Which one do we go to? But they say to him, it's going to be a sign to you because he will be wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now let me give you a couple more prophecies because in Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. See, 700 years before Jesus' birth, they prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. But it gets more specific in Micah because in in Micah 4.8, it says this, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of, of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion it shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So he says he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but not just Bethlehem, he's going to be born at the tower of the flock. And the tower of the flock was a very specific tower because what they would do, the high priests would go to this specific area, Migdali Dare is what it was called, the Tower of the Flock. And every time that a lamb was born, it would be inspected. And if it was without spot and without blemish, they needed it for the sacrifice. So they would wrap that lamb up in swaddling cloths and they would lie it in a manger so that it would not get caught up in a thicket or damage its fur or get cut or get hurt or anything like that. They would keep it wrapped up. Why? To try to maintain its perfection so they could offer it as a sacrifice. And these shepherds knew that when the the angels said he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. What they knew was that he was going to be born in the place and wrapped in swaddling clothes, the same place that all of the sacrifices were laid out because what? He was going to be the Lamb of God and he was going to be the final Lamb of God ever offered. Man, that's amazing to me. He knew, they knew, they prophesied it and they gave them this sign. And in Isaiah seven fourteen, it said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know that both, both Joseph, Joseph came from David's line, but he came from Solomon. Mary came from David's line, but she came from David's son, Nathan. And so they came, both come from David's line, so he has a double claim to the throne. But the thing you've got to understand about Jesus, and, and medicine says today, med, medical science says that a baby receives its blood from its father. And so 
If Joseph had been Jesus' biological father, he would have no claim to the throne because he would have had sin, because he would have received his blood from his father. This is why a virgin had to be born, because he carried the blood of God. This is why he was conceived of a virgin, because he could not be born of a man. It was the seed of God planted in her womb so that his blood would be without spot, without blemish, that he would be a sinless man. And we're not talking about the blood of bulls and goats that washes you from your sin. We're talking about the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. His blood is powerful enough to cleanse you from all sin and from all unrighteousness and restore life to you. Let me tell you something. The first question in the Old Testament, God asked Adam, the first question in the Old Testament, God asked Adam, where are you? Why? Because Adam was lost. You and I are lost without Jesus. But the first question in the New Testament, I've already read it, it switches, and in Matthew 2, 2, the first question is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? In other words, Jesus' birth is the answer to your lostness. Is the answer to your lostness. The first question of the Old Testament is answered in the first question of the New Testament. See, God has always had a plan, but in the middle of the chaos of broken humanity and the evil work of Satan, this plan is still at work. And I'm telling you right now in 2020, I know everything's been messed up and everything's been broken. I promise you God's plan is still at work. And you can trust that. And you can rest in that and you can have peace in knowing that God is still working. He's still moving in my life even when things don't look right. The first Christmas, just like this Christmas in a lot of ways, was marked by some grieving. It was marked by some screaming mothers. It was marked by oppressive, destructive, evil governments and lots of death with just a glimmer of hope right in the middle of it. If that don't sound like 2020, I don't know what does. There's a lot going on. But see, the song says, Long lay the world in sin and error, and they were pining till He appeared, and the soul felt its worth. And I'm telling you, in the midst of the darkness, we can feel our worth and know our worth because Jesus Christ has come. And the question for all of us is whether or not we're going to relinquish control and let Jesus really control our lives and be the King of kings and Lord of lords over our lives. Or if we're going to hold on to our throne. Herod clung to his throne, and guess what? Death took it from him, didn't it? And so many of us, we're afraid of death, scared of death. It's the greatest fear that we have. The greatest fear you should have is not knowing Jesus, is not knowing Him. But fear comes in, man, when we think about death, and it's a frightening thing. But see, all of us will face death, and here's my last point. If our treasure is in this world then death will take it from us. I want you to listen to this. If our treasure is in this world, then death will take it from us. But if our treasure is truly Jesus, then death takes us to our treasure. It flips death on its head. This baby that was born who went to the cross for you flipped death on its head. And if your treasure's in this world, then yes, you've got something to be afraid of because death will take you from your treasure. But if your treasure is Jesus Christ and the eternal kingdom that He has set up, then death will take you to this treasure that we have in Jesus Christ. So here's our choice. We've got to understand, we've got to look that it should have been me and you on that cross, you all. It should have been me and you being punished for our sins. It should have been me and you being rejected. It should have been me and you being spat upon, being mocked, being hated by all of the world. But Jesus loved you so much. God loved you so much. He said, I want to send my son and I'm going to make him be born and I'm going to make him 
be just like you. He's going to take on flesh and blood. He's going to grow up. He's going to be a little baby. The, the, the one who created all things in a moment of time and space that made the universe in a moment of time and space comes and is cradled in his mommy's little arms, just like that baby over there. I asked Andrea the other day, I said, you think, you think Jesus cried like that? You know? I mean, y'all ever think about stuff like that? Like, did, G did Jesus, did he, did he cluster feed in the middle of the night? I told somebody this morning, I said, you know what shocks me? It shocks me that people have been giving birth to babies since the dawn of time, and it is hard as it is. Anybody amen me? Like, it's, it's labor. It's labor. But man, to think of the humility of God, that He comes as a little baby. He, he demonstrates His character to us. He demonstrates His love. He says, I'm willing to enter into everything that you're going through right now during this Christmas season. Not only that, I'm willing to, to, to suffer with you. Mary went through it, man, but she was willing to yield to God. And you may have to go through some hard things, but just like Mary, you've got to be willing to say, God, I'm going to yield to it. I'm going to yield to whatever your plan is. I know it may be hard. I, may, I know there may be difficulty. I know we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I know that this baby that you've sent, he's come to die in my place, to take my sin, to bear the weight of that penalty. And so here's our choice. We can be like Herod and we can cling to our sin. We can cling to our power. We can cling to our own glory and we can try to control our lives or we can say, Lord, I'm ready to give up control. I'm ready to put this stuff in your hands because I can't control coronavirus. I can't control what a vaccine might possibly do. I can't control what my future holds. I can't even control when I'm going to die. I don't know. But God, I put that in your hands and I trust that no matter what happens, you're in there with me. And that ultimately, even when death comes, it's not going to take my treasure from me. It's going to bring me to my treasure. And that's the hope of the Christmas story. That He grounds us, He roots us in a foundation that is stronger than our own earthly realities. It's deeper. It's a bedrock of our faith. Jesus gives that. And now we just got to quit being like little, little Herods and we got to surrender control of our lives. So here's what I want us to do on this Christmas day. I want us to look to this little baby that was born for you and for I so that he could live and that he could die in our place and we could receive salvation. I want you to stand to your feet because what we're going to do is we're going to pray and we're going to relinquish control. How's that feel? Does that feel good? It almost, it almost, I mean, even, even this morning, Andre and I, We've been saying this over and over again. There's so many things that we were afraid of this year, I can remember. So many times this year that we were just scared. And we would try to control it, try to make something happen. And every time, we would come to a breaking point and we would just have to take a deep breath and say, God, we can't carry this no more. It's going to kill us. And you just got to give it to Him. And say, God, you're on the throne. I'm not on this throne. I'm just going to be like the wise men and I'm going to kneel down and worship. And I'm going to give you my life. And I'm going to say, God, you take control of it all. Will you do that with me this morning? Won't you bow your heads just where you're at? And some of you, you may be wanting to commit your life to Jesus for the very first time. I don't know. But you can do that right now today and you can believe in Jesus and your heart can be forever changed. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the power of God. Your heart can be transformed if you'll just relinquish control. Some of you may want to just lift your hands to the Lord right now as we pray, just as an act of surrender, just to say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. And I want you to pray to Him right where you're at. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you came in flesh and you came in blood and your name was Emmanuel. You are 
God with us. You are God with us right now, in this moment, in the here and now. You're God with us. And we believe that you're with each and every person and what they're going through in this moment. And I pray right now for just a release of comfort in these situations. People that are dealing with sickness or the fear of death or anxiety about the future, God, you're with us in the midst of that. And right now we relinquish control, God. Just tell him, say, Lord, I give up control. I give all my burdens to you. I give them all to you, Lord. And I'm asking you to carry these for me because they're just too heavy for me to carry. But the good news is, God, that I trust today in your salvation. I confess my sins and I ask you to wash me in that blood because, Jesus, you were the final sacrifice once and for all. And I know that today if I confess my sins and I believe in you, I can be washed, I can be clean, and I can know that I have a solid hope and an anchor for my soul in the future because you will return. And even if death comes to take me, he's going to take me to my treasure. And that's you, Jesus. You are our treasure. Take a moment right there. I want us to worship. We're going to enter into a time of worship. And I just want you to take this Christmas to respond to the goodness of Jesus toward you. To thank Him for all of the gifts that He's brought us. And just rededicate our lives to Him afresh and say, Lord, we want to follow you afresh. We want to give you everything. We want to lay down all of our gifts. We want to lay down our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We want to pour it out to you. And we want to give you the glory and the honor that you deserve. Listen, I know... We want to be safe and stuff, but if you need prayer, I would love to pray with you. I put my mask on down here. You can come tap me on the shoulder. I'd love to pray with you if you need prayer. But could we just spend the next moment just worshiping together? God bless you.